الجزيرة بودكاست Walkouts by healthcare workers threaten to disrupt the lives of millions of people in the UK. The standoff between public service employees and the government shows no sign of abating. So what's gone wrong with the UK's National Health Service? I'm Nastasia Tay and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. Well, let's now bring in our guests from London. We're joined by Oksana Pizik. She's a pharmacist and also a lecturer at the UCL School of Pharmacy. From Copenhagen in Denmark, we have Jeff Lazarus. He's a researcher at the Barcelona Institute for Global Health. And also from London is Jonathan Porters. He is a professor of economics and public policy in the Department of Political Economy at King's College London. A warm welcome to you all. Thank you so much for joining us on Inside Story. Um, Oksana, I want to start with you. You're, you're sitting in London and I, I want to talk a little bit about the working conditions for nurses and other healthcare staff at the moment, because this isn't just about pay, but they're also talking about what it's like to work there. What's it like at the moment on an, any kind of average day for a healthcare professional? Where are the biggest challenges? Well, certainly we see that the backlog from the COVID-19 pandemic has put a huge pressure on the NHS health service. And it, this is all across from uh, really community level, um, GP appointments. Uh, also here in the UK recently, there have been pressures in pharmacies with uh, antibiotic shortages uh, and strep A outbreaks and at the hospital levels as well. So nearly half of all healthcare workers say that they are working. Um, they don't have the resources available to them to do their job to the extent that they think uh, is needed. So that's really worrying statistic to see that more than half of healthcare workers say they can't do their job up to the standard that they normally would do uh, on top of a healthcare system that's taken a huge beating throughout the pandemic and health workers themselves also very burnt out. Of course, I want to get to some of the psychological toll in just a moment. But just touching on what you were saying there, Oksana, about staffing shortages. Is this really about staffing shortages or about money, because I guess they're both related. But Jonathan, let me throw that one to you, because we're talking about pay demands here that are very, very far apart. How does that go anywhere towards talking about or dealing with a staffing shortage, if that's one of the biggest issues? Um, well, uh, nurses have seen their pay cut by about coming up now to 15 or 20 percent in real terms over the past 10 years, in common with much of the public sector, actually, where there were pay freezes. So it's important to remember that what we're seeing in the public, not just in the NHS, but public services as a whole, isn't just about the post-pandemic. Uh, obviously, the pandemic has made things considerably worse for the health sector, but it is really the product of 12 years of underfunding of public services and pressure on public sector pay, which has been particularly bad, I think, um, although low-paid workers have not done so badly, it's sort of middle-range nurses and other similar workers as well in the public sector, who, of course, are sort of, in some sense, the backbone of what actually gets done in any public sector. People who've been there long enough to actually know the job and know what they're doing, but not so long enough that they've become elevated to the ranks of senior management where they don't have to do work directly. So it's those people who have come under most pressure. And I think for a lot of them, it's just become too much. So pay, as you said, is a very, very large part of the problem and hence money to solve it is a large part of the solution. But it's not the only thing by any means. It's this sort of progressive rundown of public services, which 
um, very much predated the pandemic. And I think sort of trying to relate this just to what's happened in the last year or so is quite wrong or, or at least misleading. This is something which has been going on for, for quite a while and I think is now showing up in the public consciousness. We're beginning to realize that actually, you know, if we want decent quality public services, we are going to have to pay for them, and that is going to mean somewhat higher taxes. And that, of course, is a very difficult political message to sell. Sure, indeed. You mentioned there that nurses have seen pay cuts in real terms, and a lot of that, they're arguing, has to do with inflation. And part of what they're asking for now is an inflation-related pay rise. Um, Jeff, let me ask you about this, because I'm curious about how other countries are approaching this. Uh, tying pay rises to inflation seems like a possibly quite dangerous thing to do. Yeah, it's not just, you know, tying it always to inflation, but, you know, workers receive a cost of living adjustment um, and we've seen unusually high inflation, as, as everyone knows. So with this massive inflation, the, you know, maybe there's been declines in real wages, but people are also exhausted. They've been running a marathon through the pandemic. And just as it looks like things are getting better, they're hearing that there won't be new resources. Um, people are leaving the field. There are nurses who, who do not want to stay in healthcare because they're not seeing that it's a good place to work anymore. Mm. People are very busy, as Oksana mentioned, with the backlog. Um, we've had lower cases, lower numbers of people diagnosed for many different conditions, fewer people initiated on treatment. So this, this sense of you know, we've been overwhelmed for so long, but now things are getting better. It's, you know, they've come to the end of the marathon and been told you have to run a couple of kilometers. And on top of that, you have to carry, you know, a rucksack full of weights, which is, you know, the, the salary issue because of the current inflation. We're seeing this in Spain. There's been protests in Madrid. There's protests planned mm. for, for January. Um, there's concern, I think, all across Europe that the conditions for the healthcare system are not truly being um, addressed and that we haven't really, not to be cliche, but built back better like so many had hoped. Indeed. And this is also not just the healthcare sector, but many other public sectors as well. Jonathan, just before we depart from the, the specific pay issue for nurses, I was just it really just struck me how large the differences between what the nurses are asking for and what the government is talking about, 19% versus a number closer to 4%. In your mind, what's actually realistic? Um, I think what, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, I'm not in the negotiating room. The nurses have made clear that they are willing to settle for considerably less mm. than the 19%. The government has not made, has said that it is absolutely refusing to talk. So we're not at the moment, at the moment, in that sort of territory of saying, well, if you go up a couple of percent, I'll come down a few percent. We're in the a position where the nurses have said, yes, we've made a very large demand, which reflects what we think we deserve, quote, um, but we know that that's unrealistic and we'll settle for less. And the government is saying, you are going to take what you're given. We're not interested in even in any further discussion. So in some sense, saying what the a realistic level is, is slightly academic because the government is just saying, we are not prepared to budge an inch at present. When they do move off that position, if they do move off that position, will be when we can sort of talk about what's realistic. But I think the best way of looking at this overall is to say, look, pay rises in the public sector are currently running, you know, on average, earnings in the public sector have gone up by about 2.5% to 3% over the last year. Earnings in the private sector have gone up by 6 to 6.5%. Mm. Inflation 
has been about 10%. So this idea that um, increasing public sector pay is what's going to set off a wage price spiral or add to the inflationary pressures that are already there, it simply mm -hmm. does not add up from an economic perspective. Sure. It's just smoke, a smokescreen from the government, frankly. It's not worth taking seriously. So the reticence then of the government to even negotiate with nurses, that changes the tone of the discussion somewhat. Uh, Jeff, you mentioned the word exhausted. You talked about how this has been like a marathon. Oksana, how much do you think the psychological toll of the pandemic and, and living through and working through that is playing into what we're seeing now? Again, linking back to what our earlier panelists said, of course, this is, uh, we had 12 years over a decade of austerity in the NHS, uh, budget cuts, et cetera, and then a global health crisis that really uh, demanded so much from everyone within the healthcare system. So, uh, and, you know, everyone here in the UK stood outside their doorstep and applauded our health workers. But then when they are asking for something that is really quite fair, because in the UK, uh, nurses are paid quite low if you compare that to international standards. Mm -hmm. They're paid less than their colleagues in other countries. Uh, it, it just, so in this instance, so demoralizing for health worker staff to, to go through something that was absolutely traumatizing for so many, uh, where they had to say good, help people say goodbye to loved ones through iPhones and iPads. Uh, we didn't even have sufficient PPE at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and really for what is supposed to be a, a quite developed healthcare system, those budget cuts that led up into the pandemic played out quite severely. We saw mm. that actually we were not in a good place when the pandemic hit. And, and then all of the cracks started to, to even grow during that time. And now, because we went at, went into it weak, uh, I think now it's on its knees, particularly if nurses continue to um, strike and, and they have the right to make the demands for uh, for what they're worth. And we need to absolutely value uh, all health workers who really, it is a matter of life or death when we have quality care and delivery of these important services. Sure. But I do think morale is now at its lowest point. Mm -hmm. Well, we also saw services cut during the pandemic in order to make way for emergency services. And we were saying earlier that that's left, what, more than 7 million people on waiting lists, 12% of the population. And that's enormous. I know that the NHS, for all of its failings, when you compare it to other systems, had always said that one of the best things about it was that it provided equal and actually relatively good access. Jeff, that's obviously no longer the case. How does it measure up now? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was inevitable um, when hospitals were overwhelmed because of COVID-19 and dealing with the virus, um, they weren't able to carry out their regular services. So we're seeing this all across Europe, waiting lists, backlogs. Um, and, you know, we went from a period where people were, you know, literally applauding, as Oksana said, not just in the UK, but in Spain and in other countries, applauding healthcare workers, applauding nurses to messages that, well, you need to keep on working. Your real salaries are worth less because of inflation. Um, we're not putting more money into the healthcare services. So it is very demoralizing. Um, we were advertising for a couple of nurses on a project I run in Spain, and it was very difficult to get um, any applicants. Um, I don't think the message we're sending is, you know, become a nurse. We need you. We 
we um, respect you. We're, you know, we're happy to have you in the system. It's we're going to overwork you. And when you ask for more in salary because of real inflationary um, issues, um, we're not going to even negotiate with you. Sure. Well, we've talked a little bit about salaries, but it goes much deeper than that, it seems. We've talked about how there's been chronic underfunding, but there are also other structures in place that have been problematic. By my understanding, there was a lot of red tape and bureaucracy, specifically in the NHS. A lot of that disappeared during the pandemic in, in order to be able to do really rapid emergency care. And I'm hearing from healthcare professionals that a lot of that is now back. I believe what, last year, 12,600 operations were cancelled because of administrative errors. Uh, Jonathan, how much of a, a structural weakness is the red tape and bureaucracy that exists in the system? In international terms, the NHS is not over-bureaucratized. Um, it has considerably less in terms of management, you know, the ratio of management to actual hands-on healthcare staff is actually rather low in the NHS. I think the problem is not that the NHS is, has sort of too many bureaucrats. It's rather that the efficiency of its processes and procedures is not what it could be. Um, and so in particular, um, there have been significant issues with, there are significant issues with respect to IT systems. And of course, we all know from our own jobs and from dealing with, with any service that when the IT doesn't work, that has a terribly negative effect on the productivity of the actual people who are trying to deliver the service. Well, Oksana, let me throw that one to you then. Do nurses and other healthcare professionals feel that the money that's being spent, the money that is already there, is being spent appropriately? Because there was more money spent in the system during the pandemic and now than before. So is that just not being spent in the right places? Well, clearly the nurses are, are, are communicating that it isn't being spent in the right places because it's not getting into uh, the hands of the workers themselves that are giving the care to our patients. So in order for that to occur, of course, uh, we do need greater investment. So it's we've tried doing restructuring and finding efficiencies uh, within the system itself, uh, and that attempt has happened uh, several times. But in the end, you can continue to restructure and reshape uh, budgets, but you will just eventually need to have a greater influx of uh, investment to match what the needs in this real time um, throughout still the fallout of COVID-19 demand. So I think really the workers are speaking out loud that you know the, sure. the, the system as it is now isn't working. I feel like this is a really complex issue though because a large number of people and a large number of organizations have looked at this and there are plenty of reports in, in, in the public area about this. The Institute for Fiscal Studies in one of their reports specifically on the NHS said that despite the fact that staff undoubtedly feel stretched it's not obvious that adding more staff or money would immediately unclog the system. So let me ask you, Jeff, looking at the UK from outside and comparing it to other systems, what's the problem with the system there? Why is it so clogged? What I am seeing, though, in Spain, Denmark, countries where, where I work better is probably a bit similar. Um, there's an absorptive capacity. Um, you know, you have to bring in people. You have to improve systems. During um, the pandemic last year, I had an opportunity to spend a day shadowing a GP and just seeing how many people were going to get turned away at the end of the day, yet if they added on one more person, there wasn't necessarily space for that person. So things, you know, more than, more than one thing needs to change 
to improve um, the system. So again, I don't know specifically what the problem is um, in the NHS. We've also seen though during the pandemic um, shortages of staff due to sickness, both COVID and, and other, and not necessarily always being quickly um, replaced. But as I mentioned, um, you know, people are exhausted, they're overwhelmed, and there's more and more care that needs to be provided because it wasn't provided during the pandemic. Well, we're also dealing with an aging population who aren't in the best shape, particularly in the UK when you compare it to other European populations. People have warned of this demographic bomb. And Jonathan, I want to ask you, do you think that this demographic bomb has now exploded in the UK? Well, um, uh, I, I mean, the demographic pressures have been going on for some time. And I think, the, 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 again, what you have here is a combination of demographic pressures, but also some um, wider social and economic forces. So in the UK, up until about the early 2010s, we had life expectancy increasing, um, but it was increasing across the board and healthy life expectancy was also increasing. What we've seen since uh, around the turn of the 2010s, though, is that that life expectancy increase has, has slowed very sharply and indeed gone into reverse for people who are poorer and sicker. Um, and for them, healthy life expectancy is not going up. So we've had this sort of widening of the socioeconomic divides and, of, uh, and fall in, in, in the way in which healthy life expectancy has progressed in, in previous years. And that, of course, does add significantly to the pressures in the NHS. Um, so, I mean, more broadly, you're right. It's not it isn't just about money, but money does matter quite a bit. And I think you know people forget that as recently as 2010, the NHS had among its highest satisfaction ratings in its entire life, and actually um, waits for treatment were basically entirely under control. Um, and that was the consequence of um, 10, you know, 10 or 12 years of quite sustained funding and staffing increases, which, which then unfortunately uh, uh, slackened off a bit. So I don't think money would solve everything. And the IFS is right that, of course, it would take time to take through, but it is probably an essential ingredient. Um, the one point which we haven't mentioned, which I think is very well recognized, though, is, is a particular blockage to that the NHS, one of the reasons for the delays at the moment is the NHS simply lacks beds. And a big reason it simply lacks beds is that it's hard to move elderly but relatively healthy people out mm. of hospital into social care because of the separate but, quite frankly, even worse problems in the social care system. So the social care system, sure. which is considerably less well-funded than the NHS, is having a big knock-on effect on demand for the NHS. Well, let me ask you then, Jeff, about how one might spend money differently. So if we're asking for more resources to be funneled into the NHS, when you look at how this has played out in, in other countries like Spain, like Denmark, um, would a, a more devolved local system work better? Would more focus and funding for social and community care work better? Is that what's lacking? I, I think so. Um, I mean, the NHS, or at least the UK, has community pharmacies. I think this needs to be expanded. We need to reduce our reliance on going to, to hospitals. The pandemic really showed that clearly. But in general, you know, having community pharmacies 
where you can go and get some of the care, even care that might have been provided by a GP and get that at um, the pharmacy. So that's called task shifting to, to the pharmacy, using mm -hmm. the hospitals more as last resort. And we've seen in other areas the role of community centers, community care, social care, um, community-based NGOs and reaching the most marginalized, because as was mentioned, um, you know, things are, are, are a little worse for everyone, but they're much worse for the most marginalized populations, sure. the, the poorest of the poor. Well, I see that the Nuffield Trust, a think tank in the UK, has said that this is a narrow window of opportunity, potentially, for reform, where there was potentially a lack of political will or, or funding. Oksana, in your mind, you're sitting in London, very briefly, is this that moment? Well, I think so. When we look at... Uh per head. The government in the UK spends less on the NHS than many other comparable countries. Uh, there are less beds and doctors per head as well when we look at com uh, comparable countries. So uh, now that certainly nurses have gripped the attention of um, not only the UK, but but you know this news has made headlines around the world because it's the first strike in its, in its history. Um, that this is the, the pressure is really culminating and the time for uh, investment and appropriate response is now. Well, we'll see if it is indeed that moment, Oksana. Thank you to all of our guests, Oksana Pizik, Jeff Lazarus and Jonathan Portis. This episode was produced by Christina DaCosta, Nihad Alabedi, Laurent Peter and Gemma Harris. Studio sound by Hasib Hashmi. This program was also edited by Mohamed Sobi, Lin Yuan and Joda Fleece. Do be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every one of our episodes. Thanks for listening.